You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. From a little football, we'll be joined by Pat Ragazzo of SI.com. We'll get his thoughts on uh, some of the things that have been going on. It was uh, Chantel and Julie, it was just so cold. I, I thought I would give, you know, the audience a little breather of some sunshine. Thinking about Florida, spring training, and about a, players reporting in about a month. You know, your first games at the end of next month. So, you know, trying to get you into that frame of mind of, of warm weather coming when we had a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of days of snow and a little bit of chilly weather and, you know, had to look for the ice melt and stuff like that. It, it was, so I wanted to warm things up. So we'll do that with Pat Ragazzo at the bottom of the hour here on 987 ESPN. Going back to that last two-point conversion, Julie and I were discussing it during the break, and, and I agree with him. That's what the officials saw that they felt that the defender was turned enough so that it looked like he could have, he was really playing the ball and, you know, it was a bang, bang call. And listen, the officials at this, they're not trying to make, a, they're not trying to make a, a controversial call like that right now. And, and it is just, if you're, if you're a fan of the national football league and you look at these calls and you look at the calls that are made against them made one week and then that made the next week. And there's so much inconsistency with it. The thing that drives you crazy is very simply, there's no consistency. The rule is interpreted differently by each crew. So depending on the crew you have is depending on how the rule and the flags are going to be called that day. The penalties are going to be called. That's how it is. It's very simple. Now, uh, and we'll hear from Baker Mayfield in a second. And this was before this game uh, started, obviously. But what is so interesting to me, and I know Todd Bowles is really going to be, I mean, he's going to be a little furious at his at his uh, D-line. Because his D-line has not been able to get, well, they've got some pressure on golf, actually, because they just sacked him. But consistently, they have been manhandled by the Detroit offensive line and that's why the screens have been so – golf has had time. And it's interesting because you think of Bowles – well, he blitzes, and he does. He blitzes more than most people do in the National Football League. He does. It's very simple. He does. He loves the blitz. Loves. Loves to. But he hasn't really done it a lot. And I think he doesn't want – and plus he's had some injuries in the secondary, so he's not going to be able to do it now because he lost some guys in the first half. But – well, that's a good play. But um, you know that's been that's been an inter- that's been an interesting part of this, which is why Detroit's been able to march up and down the field. Both teams have been able to answer each other. It's been a very entertaining game, and you remember a couple of days before this game, uh, Gardner Johnson made some comments from Detroit saying, "Well, you know, Baker Mayfield, he's not as good as some of the other quarterbacks. He's he's all right and everything." And so Baker was asked, how did you respond to that comment? I don't think he's really watched film because he mentioned Russell Gage. You know, we love Russell, but Russell hasn't played a snap all year for us. He must be going off the preseason stuff that the media was talking about. But he didn't play our first game, so I'm excited to see him. I think he's a really good player. He has been for a while, and he's been an impactful guy on every team he's been on. So he's a good player, but he's got to do a little bit more film study. Uh, Baker Mayfield has acquitted himself very well today. He's done a nice job today. And listen, give Tampa credit. The defense was able to get off the field. So with a little over two minutes before the end of the game, we got a field goal. If this if this field goal is no good, then, uh, you know, they kept them out of the end zone. We'll see what happens. 
but you know, well, I'm sorry, not field goal, a punt. So we'll see what happens if if Tampa can get down the field. They will continue to chase that two points. That's <laughs> gonna be. They'll continue to chase it. All right, because they'll need it to get into overtime if they're able to get into position. And that's the other thing that really hurt them early. The battle of field position was clearly advantageous to Detroit. So now got them, you know, just under two minutes to go. And we'll see if Baker Mayfield can march them down the field and put them in position to try to get a, uh, a touchdown and a game tying two point conversion. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fascinating, but Baker Mayfield has played well today. He's quitted himself very well. I know that he's going to want to get paid after this. He's got one year deal. And if you're Tampa, I think you have to really consider long and hard whether you want to keep Baker Mayfield as your starter. I mean, yeah, I know some growing pains. They had a new offensive coordinator in the beginning. And so that was, you know, you have to get some adjustments there. But, um, you know, they found their footing and they were able to win not the best of divisions in the NFC South. But listen, here's the bottom line. They won the division. They had a home game last week, and they're going on the road against a, a, one of the top teams in the NFC and in the National Football League, and they are a drive away and a two-point conversion from sending this into overtime. Richardson, Manhattan. Richard, you're next on the drive. Larry, I'm doing paperwork here. I got the football game, and I got you listening to you. Larry, busy everything man, is Richard. fine. I don't need Peacock. I don't need the game TV sitting there. I'm fine. Larry, I don't understand this. Tampa okay. just scored. Yes. You're making the score 31-23, correct? Yes. So Tampa coach goes for two, mm-hmm. knowing if he misses it, now he's got to go for two when we score again, and that will only give us a tie. I'm okay right. with that, he's saying. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. Right. Well, if you're okay with that, idiot, Go for this one point now. Later on, if you score, obviously you're happy with a tie. You go for the one point then. Or if you change your mind in a few minutes, then you go for the two. Why do you go for the two right now? Knowing if you miss it, the best you can do is a tie. When you can have the tie anyway by just going for the one now and going for the one later on. Now, I'm not saying you're committed after the one now. But why make the decision now? Mm-hmm. Makes no sense. He outsmarted himself. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're that saying. Point, did, Larry, that point did only play is to go for the one. You never go for two unless you have to. I didn't like what Green Bay did yesterday when they yeah. went for the two, mm-hmm. when it was 1940. Now, it worked out great. They called the right play. But if they missed that, they would have been down by four at the end of the game. And a field goal would, I mean, things could have changed. Right. I don't know how coaches just don't sit in a room and somebody explain this to them. Uh, You know, it doesn't make sense. I mean, to me, this Tampa coach now, he knows that the best he can do is a tie. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why would you commit right away? You don't have to. And, you know, it's always a downer when you don't get the points. Last week, remember Sirianni? He took the point, Philadelphia, they got the point after. Mm-hmm. And uh, penalty offside. He says, "No, well, we'll let, forget about the one point. We're going to get to go for the two. They didn't get it, yeah. so he took a point off the field, you know, off the scoreboard, and yep. he lost it. Yep. And to you me, that's chasing a it. Yeah. And now, you know, uh, psychologically, Larry, and Mayfield's throwing an interception. Point, you know, that, yeah. Larry, and Mayfield's throwing an interception, Richard. So now this game is over. 
Yeah, it doesn't matter then. Yeah, yeah. It was a great game anyway. The was, San Francisco game, game yesterday, Larry, oh, was fabulous. that old school football, yeah, man, in the weather. Yep. And the passing game didn't dominate. Yep. You saw a lot of running back. Aaron Jones was just as good as McCaffrey, man. Those were guys, those guys were going back, back and forth, man. Oh, it was good. Jesus, it was entertaining. That was that's what great... you want to see, Richard, right? That's what you want to see. Old school football, Larry, that's my yeah. stuff. That's my stuff. Larry, always a pleasure. Thank All right, you, Richard. All right, thanks for checking in. Uh, but see, now we got these, 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 you know, metrics and stuff in there, and they tell you this is uh, this is the scenario you should go for two. This is the scenario, you know, sabermetrics. Send the National Football League too. Oh, he just underthrew. He underthrew Otten. And uh, once again, they stared. Must have stared his eyes. Saw where he was going. And now it's it's locked in. Detroit has it. So they will uh, head over to the Niners. And they will go for the NFC Championship. Boy, I tell you, for a, for a city like Detroit that has suffered as much as they have over the years, that's suffered. Feel good for those fans. They've been consistent. They've been out there doing their best. They've been they've been coming back and watching and support their team. And they've been not good. And now Dan Campbell's done it with his staff and some great talent, some great draft choices. And they are about to play to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. When we return. We'll give you some final thoughts on this one. We'll preview Bills, Chiefs at the bottom of the hour. We'll hear from Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. All that's next on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. So Detroit and the 49ers next week. For the NFC representative in the NFC Championship game, winner heads to the Super Bowl. Who will they face? The winner, that is. Will it be Baltimore or will it be the winner of Buffalo and Kansas City? So the big story about this game tonight with Kansas City and Buffalo is obviously they've got a nice little rivalry thing going, right? They always seem to meet in the postseason. They always seem to find ways to battle each other. And for the most part, Kansas City always seems to win. But this time, Kansas City is going on the road. So Patrick Mahomes was asked, are you nervous about not just a road playoff game, but your first road playoff game? Kind of just is what it is. Obviously, I've been lucky enough to play a lot of games at home at Arrowhead Stadium. It kind of just everything's fell that way. But now we get a great opportunity to go on the road, play in a hostile environment. One that I haven't been able to play with fans in the stands. I and mean, even though I know it's going to be hostile and it's gonna, there, there are going to be people talking trash and everything like that, I'm excited for it because it's one of the best environments in football. And you want to do that when you grow up watching these games is playing the best environments and see what it's like. Yeah, and it's going to be an interesting environment. There's no question about it. The Bills Mafia will be out in full force. So, uh, Josh Allen, a familiar opponent once again, huh? Played them every year for the last, I think, four or five years. So, I think it's two teams that are very familiar with each other. So, the wrinkles that they put in, that we put in, that we adjust to, those are going to be key to to winning this game. So, again, just trying to come in here and be as prepared as possible for game day. Yeah, and and that's the whole thing, right, is 
They know each other. And the question is going to be, which one of these teams is going to show up that's closest to the team that they normally are? Larry, what are you trying to say? Well, it's very simple. This Kansas City team has not been Kansas City this year offensively. Defensively, they've been pretty good. Defensively, they've done a nice job. They've, they've kept their team into games. Uh, normally, it's been, well, you know, the offense is carrying the defense. This year, the defense has done a pretty good job keeping the offense around. For Kansas City, the issue has been, and some may say, it is the departure of Eric Bieniemy, who left to go to Washington. But, and some will say, it's the inconsistency at the two tackle positions on the offensive line which was a reason why Patrick Mahomes doesn't have another Super Bowl championship because when they faced Tampa, I mean, the fact that the offensive line was just decimated, they couldn't, they couldn't defend anybody. They couldn't block for anybody. Patrick Mahomes was running for his life all game. And number three is that the receivers can't catch the football. And Jason Kelsey, uh, Travis Kelsey, not his brother Jason, Travis Kelsey has had an issue. He's not been as consistent and as, as you know, productive as he's been in previous years. So what you did start to see last week was receivers catching the football, even in the frigid cold weather against Miami. And you started to see them get, get a little rhythm offensively. Now, were they as effective in the red zone as we have been accustomed to seeing Kansas City? No, they were not. And so that is something that has to improve because here's what I know. This Bills team at home is going to put points on the foot, on the, on the board. They're going to put points on the board. And whether it's Josh Allen running and passing, you know, whether it's the tight ends, whether it's the receivers, obviously, um, you know, they, they are a very talented offense. Defense is good too, but their offense is what, that's the identity of this Bills team is their offense. So, the question now becomes, which one of these teams is going to show up? For Buffalo, which Bills team shows up? Is it the Bills team before the offensive coordinator change was made? Or is it the Bills team since the offensive coordinator's move was made? If it's the one afterwards, it's been a more efficient offense. It's funny, but I think earlier in the season, it looked as though they were trying to get away from Josh Allen running the ball as much, taking so much punishment. And what they've done is they've kind of balanced things out. So Stefan Diggs maybe is not getting the ball as much as he would like, but the bottom line is they've been able to find ways to win offensively. And they've been able to do that very simply because they've had the ball and they've kept the ball on the field. They've been able to get longer and sustain drives. With Josh Allen pulling the ball running as he loves to do and he's tough to bring down. And also Dar Darwin Cook's... Uh, Younger brother up there in Buffalo having a phenomenal year running the football. So that's been the difference with this Buffalo offense. And, yeah, they find the tight end. Yeah, they find digs. They find the receiving core. They do a nice job. So that is the question. And, obviously, from Patrick Mahomes' standpoint, can he get this offense rolling? The one thing, if you're a Kansas City fan that showed some positivity, they were able to run the ball pretty good last week against Miami even though you knew that they were going to run the ball. I mean, you knew with the conditions, it was going to be heavy on the run. And Miami had issues stopping the run. So if Kansas City can continue to do what they do, run the football, it should be a very interesting uh, game.
to see just what the Bills and, and Kansas City can do. But it always comes down to defense, right? And so for me, while we have really focused on what the two offenses can do, can the defense get stops and get off the field? And I will say that for me, I think Kansas City has been a bit more consistent doing that than Buffalo has. But then again, it's tough to bring down Josh Allen. Okay, he's physical. He loves the contact. He will lower the shoulder and initiate contact, which is something I'm sure that uh, Coach McDermott is a little concerned about every time he sees him lowering that shoulder. It's like, oh, my God, no, don't do that. But that he only knows how to play one way, all right? And that's how it is. So in the back of your mind, if you're Andy Reid and Kansas City and you're Steve Spagnuolo, what you want to do is try to – Show Josh Allen some things that he's not used to seeing and force him into turnovers. He has played very well. Okay? Over the, he's played very well. Since they've been uh, more balanced, the turnovers have dropped. But there's always in the back of your mind when you're waiting and you say, you know what? This could be that time. Is this the game that Josh Allen finally gets over the hump and gets his team, beats Kansas City, and gets his team to the AFC Championship where he faces a very good Baltimore team? Or is this the one where he, you know, has that turnover, that key turnover that has them falling short again? That's going to be the key situation in this game. Uh, I'm leaning towards Buffalo in this one. I'm leaning towards Buffalo. But I think it's going to be a close one. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way. I think it could be something similar to what we saw in the game against Green, the, the Green Bay game yesterday. All right, with San Francisco. I think it could be something, a game close of that nature. Now, of course, we'll keep you updated. But when we return, we'll turn our attention to some warm weather thoughts. We'll turn our attention to summer. We'll turn our attention to Major League Baseball. Pat Ragazzo will join me to talk a little bit of baseball next on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Pat Ragazzo joins us now. Does a great job covering the Mets and MLB for SI.com. Pat, how are you? I'm great, Larry. How are you? Thanks so much for having me on. My pleasure, my friend. I'm doing great. Just uh, at the beginning... Um, we just want to acknowledge uh, the situation at SI.com. We thank you for coming on. We know some of your colleagues were not able to uh, still continue, and there's been a lot of sentiment on the station and a lot of memories about what SI has been from their heyday with magazines and the, the color, uh, you know, the, the, the great photos and stuff that we used to put on the walls. <laughs> you know, Pat, it's, it's sad to see, but, um, you know, so our, our thoughts I'll go out to your colleagues. But I want to get your thoughts on some of the things that's going on with the Mets and Yankees. First of all, uh, Pat, here's my concern as a Mets fan. I know that there's been a lot of positive things coming out uh, about this team and, you know, about what's happening in, in the, you know, as far as, you know, trying to build this roster and is it going to be really good in 2024, you know, are they really pushing past 2024, looking to 2025, where they're really going to make some moves. But for me, I, my concern is that DH spot, Pat. Um, 
what are you hearing? What do you think might be done? Or is this going to be a situation where they'll just give the DH to one of the young kids that's already on the team? Well, that's a great question. I mean, David Stearns has spoke multiple times this offseason, and he said that he believes that the Mets have a team that can compete for a play, at least for a playoff spot this upcoming season. Um, the offseason the Mets have had has really signaled what they said back in the summer that they're looking towards 2025, 2026 to really you know go for it. Um, they've had really more of a conservative offseason, but uh, really the whispers and the buzz lately has been that they are interested in bringing in another bat, you know, potentially a DH, which is the uh, the position of need right now in the lineup. And um, the name who they've been linked to, you know, mostly out of, out of the options that are available is Jorge Soler, who's coming off a, good, a very good year with the Marlins and opted out of his deal, of course. Uh, the Mets have shown interest in him, and so have other teams such as the Red Sox. Um, I think Jorge Soler, or if the Mets go out and add a J.D. Martinez who's still available or Justin Turner, uh, you know, one of those three sluggers would be kind of the missing piece that the Mets need to, uh, you know, kind of solidify their team on paper, at least in their lineup. Uh, you know, going into the regular season, you know, it'll, it'll pretty much stamp the, uh, you know, produce the stamp of approval that, that they did get better offensively. And, um, you know, you have guys like Charlie Marte, who's seemingly healthy now coming back, which is huge, and uh, Jeff McNeil as well. And uh, those guys were big pieces in 2022 and a big reason why, you know, the Mets won 101 games that season. Um, and, and it's going to be really important that those guys produce this, this season and stay healthy. Um, but at the same time, you can't just rely on that. And they, they have had a glaring hole at the DH spot uh, for since it was implemented in 2022 in the NL. And, uh, you know, adding a guy like Soler or J.D. Martinez or, or Justin Turner would uh, would kind of put them over the top there and uh, kind of back up Stearns' words saying that, that uh, you know, they do have a team that can compete for a playoff spot this season realistically. Um, you know, I feel like they can't just go into the season with, uh, you know, relying on a Mark Vientos or a D.J. Stewart to kind of produce a, out of that uh, spot in the lineup every day. I think they do need to bring in, you know, an outside hitter. And, and uh, you know, as of lately, there, there has been some buzz there that, that they might be interested in doing so. Pat, could – Starling Marte be that DH person until they solidify what they're going to do. In other words, if they don't get the player they're looking for, and they could put somebody else in right field, uh, because already we know that Nimmo's probably going to be in left with Bader in center. Uh, could Marte end up being that person? Well, it, it might help. I mean, Marte's coming off double groin surgery last year, and, uh, you know, he looks healthy. He's playing in the Dominican League right now. He is playing the field. And, and hitting, of course, and, and he's done well so far. And the Mets went down there to see him and, and talk with him. And, uh, you know, they were, they were happy with what they saw from him uh, so far. But he is 35 years old, and he is coming off, you know, major groin surgery uh, from last offseason. So, um, you know, they might see more production out of his bat if he is allowed to DH on a more regular basis. Um, that being said, I don't see them, uh, you know, implementing him in that everyday spot in DH. I do think that they still look at him as a right fielder. And, um, and if he were to DH every day, you don't really have anyone who could play out there every day, mm -hmm. you know, other than Tyrone Taylor, who they acquired from the Brewers, who seen more of as a backup or DJ Short, of course. So I, I just don't think that there's many options to kind of go with Marte as DH because you don't really have anyone you could put out there every day uh, in, in right field. So, so again, I think that, um, you know, plan A should be adding, a, adding an everyday DH there uh, off, the, off the free agent market. Yeah, I agree with you, Pat. Um, Harrison Bader. That's a gamble, isn't it? I mean, this is a guy we know he can def we know he can defend. We've seen him with the Yankees, go glove guy. But I mean, the injuries, his availability. I, you know, I'm a little concerned. I, the one thing I know about Nemo, Pat, he's out there every day. Right, and it's a it's a good point. I mean, Harrison Bader 
since 2021, he's missed a total of 199 games. Um, he had three separate stints on the injured list last year and got season-ending surgery when he was with the Cincinnati Reds after they claimed him off waivers. Um, but we've seen when he's healthy, uh, at least with the Yankees, he actually was a very productive hitter. Uh, but the problem was he just wasn't healthy a lot of the times. Um, when he came back from his first injury that kept him out for the first month of the season, he was a productive hitter with the Yankees. And then, you know, he went down again with another injury and he came back and, he, and his numbers were, were really subpar. His OPS was in the 600s and, um, you know, his on-base percentage was below 300. And he just wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't that fast that they needed. Um, but that being said, he is one of, one of the best, if not the best, defensive center fielder, uh, you know, by the metrics, uh, you know, in, in the game of baseball. So, um, the Mets' defense up the middle is, is really, really enhanced, uh, you mm. know, between Bader in center, Lindor at short, and Alvarez at, behind the plate, who, you know, had a really good season defensively in his rookie season last season. So, um, yeah, I think that Bader, uh, while he, we know what he can do when he's healthy, that it might help, I, it, you're right, it is a big gamble because, uh, you know, he just hasn't been, been able to stay on the field in the last couple of years. You mentioned Francisco Alvarez, and I'm chatting with Pat Ragazzo of SI.com, and uh, – all the conversation, Pat, was, you know what, we know he can hit, he's got power, but, you know, defensively, eh, trouble framing, eh. I thought he was, I thought he did a really good job handling pitchers, and, and defensively, he he kind of surprised me, because I was expecting the offense, but his defense was pretty good, Pat. It was pretty good, and, and if it wasn't for the defensive aspect, he would have been up in the majors sooner, uh, you know, rather than him making his debut in the end of 2022. Um, but that's that's really the you know how it, how it goes with catches. I mean, it takes a lot longer for them to develop because of because of the defensive aspect of it. And um, and yeah, I think he surprises a lot of people, but not didn't surprise people internally because he is one of the hardest workers that uh, you know that that's around the team. You know who who we've seen. Uh, he does put the work in, and uh, you know he's very dedicated to his craft, and, and it shows. He he saw the results, and um, of course his bat. He hit 25 home runs at the age of 21 years old, and. Uh, you know, it's, it's very exciting for the Mets, and, and he could we could see a jump from him this season. You know, we're talking about the Mets, you know, needing to add another bat this offseason, but uh, there is that factor that Alvarez could be that middle-of-the-order bat, uh, you know, emerging as a star, uh, you know, in that lineup and complementing Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor. So, so that is a positive for the Mets moving forward, but of course it is an if. We just don't know, you know, whether he's going to slump in his second season, his soft, you know, the sophomore slump, or, uh, you know, if he's going to take the next step. It's just not something you can count on, but... Uh, but, yeah, the future is definitely bright with him based off what he's shown so far. You know, Pat, I was looking forward to seeing Ronnie Mauricio when you brought him up last year, the speed, uh, his ability to play the infield. Uh, I, you know, man, I was, I was really looking forward to that. That injury and, his, you know, the thought that he might be able to play some third and be in that lineup every day. Uh, what now do the Mets do at third base? Are they back to the uh, Beatty Vientos experiment? Well, that was the plan before Mauricio went down is they were going to go with what they had internally. You know, they had Beatty, who they're, they're riding on to, uh, you know, to be a, a, a young star on this team. And uh, Mauricio, based off what he's shown so far in the at the minor league level, and then, of course, his short stint in the big leagues. And uh, Vientos had some promise there, too, as well. But, um, you know, of course, struggles defensively. So, um, I mean, right now the plan is to still stick with Beatty and Vientos, it seems. But uh, it would make sense to bring in a Justin Turner who – is mostly DH at this stage in his career, but still can play third base in a pinch, or potentially a Gio Urshela, who they had interest in earlier in the offseason, and he still hasn't been signed. So uh, it, it would make sense for the Mets to bring in an external option, but uh, you know, at the moment it seems like they're going to you know, kind of put all their chips on the table on Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos at that spot. Last thing on the Mets before we take a quick look at the Yankees. Uh, 
Set the starting rotation for me. Obviously, Senga is going to be the ace. He's, he's been, you know, you look at what he was able to do after he got accustomed to uh, pitching uh, in Major League Baseball. He was phenomenal last year. I expect Quintana to, once he got back, he was solid. So I expect him to be part of that offense, uh, a part of that pitching starting rotation. The Severino part and the rest of it, uh, you know, listen, I've always, I, here's what I liked about Severino when he was on his game, Pat, with the Yankees. When he was throwing the fastball, his, as he went later in games, his, his velocity didn't drop that much. He was still able to stay in the high 90s. So I don't know about that, Severino. I know there's, I've been reading about certain things about him. You know, say he was tipping his pitches. He's made adjustments there. Talk to me about the rest of this Mets starting rotation. What can we expect? Yeah, of course. In the Mets starting rotation, I mean, um, they didn't go out there and get that ace that we thought that they were going to get this winter and that they don't necessarily have on paper right now. Uh, but that that's going to be thrust into uh, into Kodai Sanga's hands. I mean, the, they're expecting him to take a jump off the you know the stellar season he really had as runner-up of Rookie of the Year last season. And uh, Quintana, when healthy, was very solid, of course, and he got a, he had a very solid career as well. And uh, you look at Severino, who's a big question mark. I mean, he hasn't stayed healthy since the 2018 season, and he hasn't been an eight since that season. And um, you know, for him, velocity wasn't an issue. I mean, his velocity was fine last season. It was really book is out that he was tipping pitches and that's that's really what it's come down to he's been asked what he thinks went wrong last season and, and they're all kind of pointing towards that he was tipping and maybe, maybe some mechanical things that he needs to adjust and the Mets think that they could unlock that so uh really it's just going to come down to uh you know keeping him healthy this year but if, if he's able to stay healthy they expect him to pitch like the pitcher he's been uh, you know leading up until last season of course uh you know injuries aside and then uh, Sean Manai is an intriguing ad because mm. uh, he didn't start off well last season with the Giants. He had an ERA over eight in his first nine starts or so. But then from May on, he was one of the best pitchers in the league. He added a sweeper and his velocity uh, went up a couple of ticks. So uh, the Mets are, you know, excited about what he could potentially be if he could put that together through a full season this year. And uh, and he was able to do that with Oakland in the past as well. So, um, yeah, that, that that's a pretty interesting addition. And then, of course, Adrian Hauser, who um, – you know, they traded for from uh, from the Milwaukee Brewers has, has really just been a solid number five starter, and that's what he's going to be asked to be. And, of course, David Turns is very familiar with him from their days in Milwaukee together. So uh, not a lot of upside with the Mets rotation, <laughs> but they have the potential to be very, very solid. There's just a lot of hits in that in that starting five right now. Yeah, there's no question about that. Once again, Pat Regazzo, my guest. I guess that's a nice uh, segue, Pat, to talk about the Yankees starting rotation, which is very similar. Uh, obviously, you got a, a stud at the top of the rotation in Garrett Cole. But a lot of question marks after that, and I guess the biggest one, obviously, is going to be Carlos Rodon. Is he going to be able to? I mean, you know, we've seen him in the in the National League. Is he? He was just, he was awful last year. You can't. There's no other way to describe it, Pat. He was awful. Is he going to be able to, you know, try to refine himself and and, and be a solid major league pitcher because he was a minor league pitcher last year. Well, with Rodon, I mean, he's he's had a pretty good career. He's, he has a good track record. He's shown that he can be an ace at times. Uh, he's another guy who's dealt with injuries in the past, and that's what's, what's kind of, uh, you know, uh, hampered him last year, so to speak, uh, is that he dealt with two different injuries in this significant time. And when he came back, he just wasn't able to get into a rhythm. Uh, so based off his career norms, I mean, he should be able to, to bounce back and at least be a solid, if not serviceable, starting pitcher. But that's not what the Yankees signed him to be. I mean, he signed a six-year, $162 million contract last winter, and they're expecting him to be the number two behind Garrett Cole. And that's what they're still hoping for. So, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, while, while he is a question mark, of course, if, you're, if he's able to stay healthy, I mean, he should be able to revert back to the, the top starter that he was in the past. 
Um, you know, unless some guys too as well just can't handle New York, and um, you know, you don't know if he's he's one of those guys. I guess we're going to find out this year. And uh, of course, they recently added Marcus Stroman, who um, you know has had his issues in the past with the media <laughs> and with New York. But uh, performance-wise, he's proven that he can pitch in New York. I mean, he had a very solid Mets career on the field. And uh, last year, he dealt with injuries with the Cubs, but he was an All-Star before that. And um, you know, he's a very reliable and durable starter. So, uh, so I think that's going to be an under-the-radar move that the Yankees made. You know, they didn't go out and get the flashy starter. You know, whether it be Snell or bringing back Jordan Montgomery or trading for Dylan C's, but, uh, you know, they did, they do have a solid, uh, one, two, three with the AL Cy Young winner, Rodon based off what he's done in his career and Marcus Stroman, just knowing the type of pitcher that he is, the, the top three is, is pretty solid for the Yankees there. So Pat, I was going to ask you about Marcus Stroman because you had a chance to cover him. Listen, we know he can play in New York. He's from here. He knows what it takes. He knows what to do. The question is, will he, will he be able to handle, uh, his, his, his media and his, his social media stuff as a Yankee, because how you handle stuff as a Yankee is not how necessarily how you handle stuff as a Met. Yeah, right. Well, so far he's been on his best behavior and uh, he's saying all the right things. And it seems like he will be, uh, you know, he, he might be able to handle it a little better this time around that he's older and more mature. And uh, just knowing that it's hurt his free agency the last couple of years, you know, uh, with some of the things he said on social media and kind of going at the Yankees organization and Brian Cashman, and, uh, you know, going at the Mets, of course. Um, but, but again, I think that, uh, you know, he'll go out there and perform. And, uh, and, and as long as things are going well, then uh, he should be able to handle, handle himself pretty well. And uh, we're really going to find out, you know, through the adversity, you know, and during the rough patches where he struggles and, uh, you know, the fans are booing him and seeing how he handles it. Um, but for the most part for his career, he's been pretty consistent. So I, I haven't seen Marcus Stroman go through many rough, rough patches in his career. And he doesn't need to be the ace because they have Garrett Cole, uh, you know, he might emerge as the number two if Rodon doesn't, uh, you know, revert back to his normal form. Uh, but I think that's a role that he can handle. I think he's better as a number two, and uh, I, I think it's a good fit with the Yankees. Pat, do you see the Yankees doing anything else to add to the, their lineup? Obviously, Juan Soto was a major move for them. It's a major upgrade that's going to be big in the lineup. I know Aaron Judge is ecstatic to have him. Obviously, they hope uh, Anthony Rizzo can come back and be the Rizzo that they've seen, and maybe DJ LeMahieu can get back on point. But do you see anything else that they're going to add to their offense before they hit spring training? Or is it going to be a usual, uh, you know, Brian Cashman situation? Let's see what happens with the team, and we'll make a major move at the trade deadline. I think that what they have now is probably enough heading into the season. I mean, um, adding Juan Soto and adding Alex Verdugo were two very good moves, I would say. Uh, Trent Grisham's more of a defensive guy, so he's not really going to factor in much, uh, you know, beyond being a fourth outfielder and playing center field, kind of upgrading their defense out there on certain days, which Boone said he's going to play judge and left field on those days. But, um, yeah, I think for the most part, I think the Yankees are going to arrive with what they have. They're hoping that Anthony Rizzo can, uh, you know, is healthy and the concussions are behind him and he can be the player that he's been. Uh, you know, over the past several years, and uh, and and they're obviously hoping for John Collins Stan to give them something this year. Mm. Uh, you know, he's in great shape right now. He's been he's been working hard at the at the training facility, and um, you know, trying to be more limber, more more cut and flexible, to kind of avoid those injuries. But uh, I don't think they have to rely on him as much. You know, given the fact that they brought in Soto and Verdugo, Flavor Torres is coming off a good year. You have Judge, of course, and they're they're hoping Lemayhew continues to hit like he did in the second half last season. Um, so as for, for a lineup, I would say there's not much concern for the Yankees right now. I think they have what they, uh, you know, what they needed. Uh, and, and if they, if it's not enough, then yeah, they're going to have to make a move at the trade deadline. But I think pitching is the biggest, uh, area needs still right now for the Yankees. 
Paragazzo, thanks as always for your knowledge and expertise. We'll talk to you down the line. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me, Larry. Take care. My pleasure. That's Pat Ragazzo. We'll come back, get your thoughts next on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Got some folks that want to chat. I have a, a give you an update on what's going on with uh, Buffalo and Kansas City as uh, Buffalo is uh, driving on uh, Kansas City. And um, I want to hear from Dan Campbell in a second. But right now, let's hear from Javier in Queens. Javier, you're next on the drive. Hey, Larry, what's going on? How's everything going? Everything's good, Javier. What's up with you, my friend? Nothing. True honor to be on the radio with you. I feel like I don't hear you on here enough, so I'm glad to, to get on with you this evening. Um, I'm, I'm calling with a Knicks point, but before I do, just because of the the last guest that you had, just mm-hmm. thinking about the Yankees. I'm a Yankees fan. Okay. It's, it's not looking good for them, in my opinion. I think, you know, after Garrett Cole, it's all a bunch of question marks. Um, yeah. Rodon really needs to uh, show that he's worth that contract. But, you know, uh, Cortez and and Stroman, like all all three of those guys did not end the year in a way where you feel confident that either one of them could step in and lead that team. If Cole is out, I mean, it, they're toast, and, and, and that's not a good place to be in. Well, you're right about that, Javier. And, look, um, they're not the only team that has pitching issues. Uh, and, and baseball, is, as everybody knows, it's a long season, and you never have enough pitching. The one thing I will say about the Yankees, is that, and Gordon Damer talks about it all the time when we do our show ESPN New York tonight during the week, they always seem to find a young arm in their minor league system that they can bring up as a starter and they can put in the bullpen. So there's probably somebody that we're not thinking of right now that may be able to help them, but you're right, the way it is uh, situated at this moment, you know, they need Cortez to come back to be Nasty Nestor. They need Rodon to be, they need a lot of things to fall right. If they do, they'll be in pretty good shape. So they just have to roll the dice. Yeah. Hopefully their it's, offense it's will many, be able – hopefully, Javier, their offense will be good enough that they can carry them early until the pitching gets squared away. Yeah, it's just too many ifs with the pitching – with the starting pitching staff for, yep. for me to feel confident about the gotcha. team. But let's – on to greener pastures. Yeah. You know, I've been a Knicks fan for a long time, and mm-hmm. it feels so good to finally – have a competent team. You know what I mean? It, it, I, I've seen them. Oh, man, the, 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 the point guards I've seen them put out there. Jesus. <laughs> um, but I think that there's a couple of small moves that they can make uh, before the, the deadline, hopefully. I don't think there's a big move to make. Mm-hmm. But I think that they need to solidify someone to handle the rock when Brunson's not in there uh, and right. just give him a little bit more rest because they, they're going to burn out uh, Brunson as good as he is. Um, mm-hmm. you, you just can't have him play as many minutes as he has. So I think Malcolm Brogdon would uh, would, would go would, would fit the team very, very well. And I think that they should go out and get Bogdanovich from Detroit to kind of beef up the scoring um, from the bench. You know, I, I think you can upgrade from Randall and, and maybe look to upgrade the five, but you're going to probably have to do that in the offseason for, for the time being. You know, they're a good team right now. Just want to see them at least win one more game in the second round. Um, and I think with those small moves, I, I think that they could uh, they can do that. Uh, you know, they can even make a conference finals. I feel like they're 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 a good team. They're not a bad. Team. I'm happy to say that they're not bad. You know, it's it's a nice time to be a Knicks fan. It's a pleasure, isn't it, Javier? Thanks for the phone call. I mean, the 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 era of twenty wins, 
30 wins. I mean, you know, it's it's joke. People laughing, calling them the Clippers of the East Coast and all the negative things that people said about them. You're a thousand percent right, Javier. It is better. Uh, Those are the players that have been in the rumor mill for the Knicks, that they were going to try to get these players. Uh, Brogdon has been a person that's name has been associated with the Knicks probably for about three years. So will this be the year that they bring him over? You know, we'll see. Um, six man of the year last year, uh, up in Boston. So listen, he's a solid performer. My only issue with him is availability. I need somebody that's going to be, you know, hanging on this team. I need somebody that I can count on. Uh, Bogdanovich is a name also that's been associated here. Uh, you know, and we'll see what Detroit wants to do at that, at the deadline. How are they? Because obviously the season has not gone the way Detroit expected it to go. Uh, there's no question about that. They are, you know, they're struggling out there. They, they, they have some, they have decent pieces. Uh, so we'll see what they decide to do. Um, but, uh, you know, those are the places. Here's what we definitely know. That they have to upgrade themselves at that, uh, the bench position. Because they need bench scoring. They got pretty good scoring last night. Achua was very good for them. And see, now you got another issue. Because what's going to be the availability of Hardenstein? All right, who, who tweaked his ankle Last night in the win over Toronto. Is he going to be out for a long period of time? I mean, you know, he's been, listen, he's been phenomenal. He's been outstanding uh, since Mitchell Robinson's gone down. And he gives you different options than Mitchell Robinson does. All right, he protects the rim too. But he's a little more, he's a little better offensive guy. He's a little better ball handler. He's a better passer. He's a better free throw shooter. So he gives you he gives you a different dimension while also still giving you the ability to give you the defense. So I mean to not have him in there it's going to be an issue. And so now you know you're going to rely on Achua and also Jericho Sims and that means Jericho Sims is going to get some more playing time. And the question is is how is he going to handle that uh with the the more time that he gets? Is he going to be exposed? You when he's on the floor, you're losing an offensive player. Okay, he's not. He's a slam dunk guy. He's a guy. He's pretty much like Mitchell Robinson, really. You pass, you alley oop. That's where he's good at. So the question is going to be, how do they? Where are they going to get points now from the center position, especially off the bench team, which has had issues scoring, as you noticed. And you know, Miles McBride. Um, has shown you something when he first got it, but he's been inconsistent over these last couple of, of games. So hopefully he can get his game together. Buffalo with a field goal. They lead 3-0. Kansas City gets the ball. When we return, Pat O'Keefe. We'll talk next. Next, 98.7 ESPN.